This little book contains a few old-fashioned country songs, songs which still may be heard where ploughmen strike their furrows and still sung at harvest suppers by the old folk who do not change their tune to the times. Indeed, when thus heard, song and singer seem to be inseparable, for singers such as these have a quaint personal style and an unexpected manner of prolonging their best notes which cannot be imparted, and which almost baffles notification. Nevertheless, apart from their local rendering, and though these simple tunes are caged in bars, I hope that there still remains a true echo of the country in these terrible old-fashioned songs, as here presented. Hello and welcome to Under the Leaves, a podcast about folk song collectors and the history of folk song and stuff like that, uh, with me, John Bowden, and Eliza Carthy. And what I've just read you uh, is written by a man called Hayward Sumner, who is the subject of this month's podcast. And in particular, um, we're going to be looking at a book that he published in 1888 called The Besom Maker. An amazing book i think and i i didn't I hadn't come across this at all Elijah, until you um sort of thrust it into my hands uh, a few years ago when we were putting together some christmas material so t tell me where did you first come across the besom maker i first came across the besom maker doing a uh doing a gig for a very nice man the reverend john uh so the reverend stephen keeble who runs concerts in saint george's headstone um uh, he discovered Hayward Sumner through his love of arts and crafts, um, uh, drawings, etchings, that kind of thing, and um, basically made me a convert overnight. He gave me this copy of The Besom Maker, which I have, and also a copy of Cuckoo Hill, which is Hayward Sumner's book about uh, about his area, when he, where he comes from, Cuckoo Hill being the name of his house. And uh, and I just found it fascinating. I've I've... There's only nine songs in this book, but I've I've been through it so many times now. And actually, as is often the way with collections, I find something something new, a new corner every time, which I love. And uh, I just thought he would make a he would be a ripe topic for discussion. So here we are. So it's actually out of print again now, isn't it? So I think the version that you've got and that I've got is uh, sort of a republished by Clannerch Publishers about 20 years ago, I think um uh or 15 yes. years ago maybe and um and it is available it's freely available online um there's a very nice scan of it on the internet archive and also at the vaughan williams memorial library there's a scan of it less less good scan there but um but so yeah but it's it's a wonderful book um so let's but let's talk about sumner himself i reckon so we'll just sort of maybe maybe sort of talk about the story of his life i guess because there there isn't actually an awful lot you know, we don't, we, we've been researching this for a couple, few weeks now, and there's not a lot about him as a folk song collector, as as we'll sort of explain. But um, a fascinating man. So we'll sort of look through his life as a whole, and we'll come to the folk song collection when we get to that point. So he was born in 1853. Um, he was born in Old Alsford, which um, so I, actually I should just uh, declare an interest here because um, it may surprise listeners um, uh, because they'll be hearing the thick Yorkshire accent that I've. Uh, acquired over 18 years living in Sheffield but I, I am actually from Winchester originally uh, so I so the, there is a the sort of local interest for me here um, and uh, yeah Alsford uh, is where he was born and he was born so this is 1953 which is six years before Cecil Sharp was born five years before Lucy Broadwood was born um, so you know he's very much part of that uh, generation that sort of late Victorian early Edwardian generation uh, he went to Eton um, and then the first sort of interesting thing we get to, I, I think, is in is in 1871 um, when he uh, so he's in this very sort of conventional household. His father's a bishop. His uncle's a, a, a bishop. His grandfather was the Archbishop of Canterbury, I think. And um, so, you know, very sort of conventional religious background. But then in 1871, it seems to be the case that he fathered an illegitimate child. Um, with uh, a lady called Hepzibah, uh, who was one of his parents' housemaids. And this is very um, obscure bit of knowledge. So I, we only sort of happened upon this quite by accident. It's just mentioned in a uh, PhD thesis about him as an artist um, that this might have been the case. So I managed to track down the article that actually originally claimed this, which was in um, the Hampshire Field Club and Archaeological Society newsletter 46 from uh, 2006. Uh, and it's written by um, a lady called Jane Barber, 
who, as far as I can work out, so she, she died a few years ago, but as far as I can work out, she just bumped into um, Sumner's great-granddaughter, Mrs. Beryl Carter, uh, in Sidmouth, uh, interestingly. I don't know if that's just coincidence. Um, and um, found, this all, found out all this stuff. So this is his great-granddaughter by his illegitimate daughter, who he never met, apparently. And and it's only really sort of confirmed because it's known that his mother, this is Sumner's mother, Mary Sumner, who who founded the the Mothers Union, um, so a mover and shaker herself. She bought Hepzibah a house in Ealing, and um, and presumably provided her with money to support the this child. So that was that was quite a shock, wasn't it, Eliza? Finding out about that. Well, I think it was. I think it was instrumental in a lot of things in in Hayward Sumner's life, because um, because Mary Sumner, his mother, um, the, the sort of path of her life appears to change at this point as well. Um, I really found it interesting reading that although they were part of a, a very very conservative household, the children, the the Sumner children, him himself and his siblings, were allowed to pursue sort of their own interests in a way they're, they're, although they were brought up in a very very christian household and it was a very christian upbringing they were allowed to to sort of take part in in not not satanic rituals and things like that but they were allowed to take part in in art and in in sort of interesting other things and um and when Haywood fathered this child and also it seems to be suggested at some point that another member of the Sumner family had another illegitimate child as well mary oh, sumner right. yes mary sumner actually i didn't know about that decided yeah it's yeah some kind of uh, niece i think but um but yeah mary sumner decided that that um that it was important that everyone realized just how important motherhood was hayward sumner's upbringing was very very loving and very um his parents really enjoyed being parents they enjoyed um, and she enjoyed especially um, the, the 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 sort of what she called the profession of being a mother. And when these when these children came into her life, um, she felt. I think I think she was also thinking around the the sort of various wars that were happening around the time as well. And I think she thought that mothers could change the world in a way that um, that the men were kind of messing up the world with all their war and all of that kind of stuff. And if, if only mothers brought their children up in, a, in, in good Christian praying households, <laughs> that, uh, that they could possibly steer the world to world peace kind of thing. And apparently when she gave her first speech about this, there was a, a huge, a huge round of applause and uh, it allowed the, uh, the the bishop of Winchester at the time to 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 bring the Mothers Union into the diocese, to uh, to make it an official organisation. Otherwise, it, it might have sort of died in the water. But it gained church approval, and sort of went on to be a very uh, a very big, big and influential organisation. Although we do know that women haven't changed the world <laughs> in any way. But uh, but yeah, she thought she thought that motherhood was extremely important. I guess that, that might be a reason why Hayward actually never visited his daughter, although his uh, although his sisters all did. She was brought up in a very in a very feminised household, and went on to do great things herself. And her granddaughter is an artist, and there's all kinds of you know. Um, she seems to have been very, very well taken care of. But it was interesting that it was Mary Sumner who decided to do that um, rather than her husband. It was Mary who who bought houses for the for the children. It was Mary that made sure that they were well taken care of. It was Mary that formed the, the Mothers' Union as a result of this. And um, yeah, I think it did certainly inform Hayward's decision, to, for instance, to not join the church. Um, and I think he he was really very very ashamed about uh, about his daughter for, for for really the rest of his life and it's one of the reasons why there's not a great deal to be read about him autobiograph autobiographically because uh, i believe he thought that a portion of his life was not for people to know about in a way the, the immediate impact of that as you say is that he didn't then um go into the church which might well have been expected uh given his background so instead he went to university so this is 18 i mean he was 18 when he fathered this this child um so he goes off to Christchurch, oxford uh and starts off studying classics and then he changed to modern history we don't know why um and he uh didn't particularly well he got a second so you know he was sort of uh 
did all right and uh, then went off and became a um and trained at lincoln's inn to become a lawyer so so far so conventional um his role in life gets kind of thrown off course a little bit at that point and maybe that explains partly why he then um goes into an even more unconventional life because then he, he becomes an artist um and this is around 1878 so he's become a um he's he's qualified as a as a as a barrister um but instead of practicing law he gets into drawing basically and um and this is all very much influenced by his love of Hampshire, which is where he grew up, but it's also, he, he there's this strong pull, I think, isn't there, to, 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 for him to go back to Hampshire and to, um, you know, really be a part of that landscape. He really didn't like cities. Yeah. He didn't like living in London. He didn't like, um, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of sort of young men at the time, his age, were really rejecting re rejecting the city in lots and lots of ways. They wanted to get back to the land and stuff. But I, I also think that a big influence that a, that a big influence on them, on on him at the time was his best friend, um, his best friend Benson, who is of course who was of course a member of the arts and crafts movement himself and a contemporary of William Morris. So I think that possibly had a lot to do with it. Um, and of course, William Morris was absolutely obsessed with the countryside and obsessed with with flowers and creatures and 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 that kind of thing. And I think that that possibly had a lot to do with it as well. But there's I think there's a collective longing uh, in the end of the 19th century for I suppose it's post-industrial revolution for a return to greener things and purer things. And I think he certainly yeah. he certainly felt that, too. And I mean, the whole thing of him, his relationship to the arts and crafts movement, I think is fascinating because um, partly because, the, you know, when you start thinking about it, there's the, all, the, all those guys, uh, William Morris, Walter Crane um, and, and that lot, you know, they don't, they, they, they have all this sort of um, fascination, as you say, for landscape and for the countryside and for rural England, but it's, it's, none there's very little uh crossover with folk song in all of that um you know mm. they're they're all about sort of medievalism and they're all about you know writing their own stuff didn't crane in uh, didn't crane illustrate some uh uh traditional fairy tale books i'm am I fairy tales that? yes that kind of thing so you're getting closer to to folklore in 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 that sense but yes it's still not musical and and it's really sumner is the only proper point of crossover between that arts and crafts movement and the folk song movement which it which is kind of interesting in itself i mean one thing i found also interesting about we're talking about the arts and crafts movement is that he so we, we should talk a little bit about politics i guess because he um like most of those guys like like morris or whatever um pretty left-wing you know pretty um pretty socialist what i love about uh reading about Sumner is that he was also very anti-elitist, which the two things don't necessarily go hand in hand. You sort of get a feel with some of these 19th century socialists that they, they don't actually practice what they preach. Yeah, much, they're sitting you know in their mean. drawing rooms being served tea, talking about the proletariat, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there is an element of that with Sumner because he's obviously he's very well off um, and he builds this enormous house down in the New Forest and all that. But but I but I also get the feeling that he's he genuinely is drawn to to sort of um working class culture um you know particularly rural working class culture i mean we'll come on to that a bit later on but it but it was interesting just in this early period so in 1886 he breaks away from the art workers guild um which is itself you know kind of a I don't know if it's actually a left-wing organisation, but it's of you know it's of that sort of uh, arts and crafts sort of thing. Um, but he thought it was too elitist, basically, and he he specifically wanted to start something new that would would that would be, you know make uh, arts more available to the masses, and that led to the first arts and crafts exhibition. So that's the interesting thing is though although we think of Morris as being the arts and crafts movement, actually the first time that term is used is in 1886 with this exhibition that was organized by Sumner um, with other people with Walter Crane and, and people like that. So, um, so that's quite interesting. You know, it's sort of, you know, he sort of um, is part of the, the people kind of defining what the arts and crafts movement, you know, is and was at that point. Yeah. I think one of the things that he uh, possibly very influenced again by his mother, uh, one of the things that he thought was that the way to bring art to the masses was by putting art in churches. 
Um, because, yeah. because a lot of his Scrafito work, a lot of his, um, if you don't know what Scrafito is, it's essentially um, carving and colorizing in plaster on walls. So it's very, very cheap to do, but it's very fine work. And you can achieve everything you can achieve with an engraving in plaster on the side of a church, basically. And and he did, he did a lot. He did a lot of that. And I think that one of the ways that he felt that he could bring art, if you like, to the masses or have the masses experience art was by was by decorating churches, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we're, we're we're getting close now to eighteen eighty eight, the Bezer Maker. So I think just you know to. to again refer back to the fact that he's spending quite a lot of time in the new forest uh traveling around um on a, what i think will be, be a very recurring theme in this podcast uh on his bike on his bicycle he, yes we like victorian, into his bikes. victorian <laughs> collectors on bicycles it's a classic in fact i've been thinking about this i think i think will smith needs a return to korea by playing <laughs> I just wrote men on bikes here in massive letters. <laughs> oh, men on bikes. <laughs> men on I bikes. Like it. Yeah, it's a Will Smith yes. film. And uh, yes, they're going to go around uh, saving the, the world from, I don't know. It seemed <laughs> funny and I wrote it Yeah, down. well, you, we, can work, we can work it up. We can work yeah. it up, Liza. Let's yeah, yeah let, let's workshop it, guys. Let's workshop <laughs> let's it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> So I think this must be when he starts coming across folk songs because he's cycling around the New Forest doing these etchings, um, you know, staying overnight in uh, the houses of cottages, uh, um, you know, cottages owned by uh, uh, by the by the, the rural uh, working class living there. So I think this must surely be where he first comes across folk songs. He's, now, one of the problems we'll come to this with, with the Bezer Maker is he doesn't say where he's got any of these songs. You're forgetting as well that the first time he tried to do it, the first time he tried to do it, he was roundly turned down by a load of people. In fact, the very first time he went to Fordingbridge on his bike, he thought, oh, I'm going to go and knock on some rural guy's door. Here I go. Hello, yes. my good woman. Can I stay with you? And she's like, nope. <laughs> Closed the door. In his <laughs> yes. And then he went down this whole road. This is before he did the, uh, is before he did the Gawley, it's before he did the Gawley book. He goes down this whole road knocking on people. Hello, my good woman. Can I stay? Nope. Sorry. And he got turned back down all the way along this particular row and he got to the end and, and he got to the end of the row and then one person let him in and said, oh, you can, yeah, you can stay the night. It's absolutely fine. And he's like, what did I do? Has another collector been through here already? <laughs> or something along those lines. And she was like, apparently the village had just recently been robbed, like proper robbers had come through on horseback. And, and so they all, they were all terrified, but uh, she did, he did pass a very pleasant night, apparently had yeah. dinner. And, yes. All that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, he, uh, um, he said, he said, he's, what, what he said to her, apparently, uh, he didn't say, what did I do? He said, is there a flaw in my natural appearance? <laughs> She's like, well, what? I, I don't have the face for staying. What I love about him, and we'll get, well, again, we'll maybe talk about this more later, but he, he, you've got this real sense of, um, he's quite self-deprecating, isn't he? You know, he's, he's quite, he's quite quick to kind of take the mick out of himself and he's quite dry as well in a way that you don't get with Sharp, right? Sharp was, was many things, but self-deprecating, <laughs> I think, was not one of them. <laughs> anyway, look, we got to, we've got sort of more or less to 1888, publication of The Bezer Maker, um, this wonderful book um, of nine songs, was it? Eight songs, nine, nine. songs? Nine. Nine songs. Yeah. Um, I am going to now sing you one of them, um, and this is um, this is the title song, as uh, we would now think of it. Um, uh, this is this is The Bezer Maker. Um, I'll sing it, and then we'll maybe talk about this song a bit. So... Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sing this one unaccompanied, I think. Um, here we go. Mm, I am a besom maker. Come listen to my tale. I am a besom maker that lives in yonder vale. Sweet pleasure that I do enjoy both morning, night, and noon. Going over the hill so high, oh, in gathering of green brooms. So it's so oh, come by my besoms, besoms fine and new. 
Bonnie green broom besoms better never grew. One morning as I was roving all over the hill so high, I met a jolly squire all with his roving eye. He tips to me the wink and I says to him my tune. So I ease him of his drink in gathering of green brooms. So it's so come by my besoms, besoms fine and new, bonny green broom besoms, better never grew. One morning as I was roving, until my native vale, I met Jack Spratt the miller, and he asked me to turn tail. His mill I rattled round, and I grind his grit so clean, so I ease him of his drink, oh, in gathering broom so green, so it's so come by my besoms, besoms fine and new, bonny green broom besoms, better never grew. One morning as I was roving, until my native court, I met a jolly farmer, so happy was his lot. He ploughed his furrows deep, and he laid his corn so low, and there it would bide asleep, till the spring and the broom should grow. So it's so come by my besoms, my besoms fine and new, bonny green broom besoms, better never grew. And when the corn grew up all upon its native soil, all like a baby bright, all with its waving smile, then I bundles up my broom cuts, and I bind them tight and spare, and my besoms folks they please ems, for I'm the darling of the fair, so it's so come by my besoms, besoms fine and new, Bonnie green broom besoms better never grew. It's quite long, that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not your fault. Um, Some um, old guy in Hampshire's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we are. That's that's the, that's sort of the title song. So um, so I thought we'd talk a bit about the songs as we as we're doing this. So um, this. Uh, there's a there's a very useful little article by uh, Mike Yates on the uh, what 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 website on I can't remember um, it will come to me but um, the uh, yeah so he's he's gone through and sort of written some notes on on the songs um, so this this is um, quite a widely collected song um, collected by Baron Gould and Gardner and Hammond and Sharp and Vaughan Williams. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a bit. I'm not sure about this song. Basically, I'm. Not, <laughs> I'm kind of. Uh, <laughs> I, I quite well, like, politically. Well, I don't know. I I liked, So I I basically I read. I think I I decided to do it ba partly because it's the title song, but also because the first verse I really like because it's like oh that's nice. It's a, it's a kind of work song. You know, it's a song about. You know, a trade, a rural craft, a rural getting my besoms on. Yeah, getting get your besoms on, um, which I quite like songs like that. And then having committed to that, I then read the rest, and it's like, oh, hang on, is this a is this a sexual metaphor song? Because um, it, it's quite suggestive, isn't it? There's various bits about um, grinding and ploughing. Yeah, plough and, and he tips tips yeah. to me the wink. Uh, but then, like a lot of these sort of folk songs that are that are kind of sexual metaphors, it 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 doesn't make sense as well. So it doesn't it doesn't it, it sort of doesn't work either way really. I don't think it you know it just it kind of isn't a sexual metaphor, but also. So it just it feels like a kind of a confused mix of the two to me, which which I guess is is kind of interesting in itself, um, you know. And then at the end you get okay, she's having a baby, but no, she's not having a baby. She's talking about the corn being like a baby, which is which is so it's almost like a backwards metaphor at that point. Um, so it's just it's kind of a weird song. Um, then there's this thing about Aizim of his drink. Which is yeah, she's like, yeah, is she having sex in order to get drink? Or is she getting <laughs> drink because she's having sex? Or, or is she, she not having sex at all? Is she just, is she literally selling brooms, you know? Yeah, I. you know what I think about it? Because, you what? know, I, um, well, aside from the fact that it's, you know, that she's 
suggesting that she's the one, in a sense, sowing her wild oats, if you like. She's she's the one that's having a good time and she's yeah. taking the drink off the men and all of that kind of stuff. I think it's a shouter. I think it's a fair shouter. I think that she's, I think that whoever it is that's selling besoms yeah. is at the fair and throwing in essentially floating verses about naughty stuff because yes. she's dealing with a passing crowd and actually it doesn't really matter. I think it's yeah, true. people think... like a bit of sauce, don't they? And people and, like and a bit of sauce. Like... Yeah. And it doesn't matter. Doesn't I mean? You know, a lot of these sexual metaphor songs, it's like it doesn't really matter. They don't make sense, do they? Like the the, the the one I always think of is the game of cards, where it's like, oh, she dealt me an ace, or and and but she had she had two jacks. It's like, what does that even mean? What what? <laughs> I think they're just playing cards in that one. Yeah, they're literally just playing. Are they just playing? <laughs> anyway, so it's like it's 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 one of those, I guess, isn't it? Well, it's, it's like though, well, it's like bottle. It's it's like the uh, it's like bottle that me and that me and uh, Tim Erickson sing, where they're they're having sex and she hallucinates flying babies in the clouds. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> it like nice that? for her. <laughs> nice for you. Yay! <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. Yeah. So that's an interesting one. The, the other thing I thought found that was quite interesting is that uh, in the broadside version, it's ease him of his jink, not his drink. Ooh. But I can't find out Ooh. what jink, what a jink is. Um, uh, I mean, except, except for no, I don't think it, no, I don't think it's anything. I think I think it might mean. I think money. it is. I think it might I don't be think money. It, um, okay, but I mean that—that's that, just a guess because uh, it's yes. Let me see the, what Bernadette thinks. What do you think? <laughs> don't ask Bernadette. Bernadette, if you've if you're not aware, is uh, Eliza's mannequin. Um, <laughs> I think we mentioned that. Anyway, great. So there we are. That's that's one one song um, to to start us off. So um, so yeah. So the Bezel Maker, eighteen eighty eight, um, and this is i think this is really it's a really significant book i think I, I, you know i'm saying this having known nothing about it until you introduced it to me eliza uh, as i say a year ago um but this is um it's the first book to be published that has the the term folk song in its title i think that's quite significant um so it's not it's not the original use of the word folk, folk song that's been around for a while but 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 um there, basically there hasn't been a lot published at this point there's been sussex songs in 1847 uh john broadwood lucy broadwood's uncle um and then there's sort of various sort of older antiquarian things um so you know that there are there are things about but it's it's a pretty early uh, example of a folk song collection and i think you know going back to that introduction eliza that you, you read out i think his uh focus on you know it being a true reflection of what he heard and that very forward thinking i well it seems to be forward thinking thing about about the the tunes being caged in bars uh you know and that that, that this is an inadequate way of expressing you, you know this this art form uh trying to i do like the fact yeah, I do like the fact that he mentions that because um, whilst you get in practice Cecil Sharp um, preserving exactly what he he finds, he then publishes um, sort of either bowderized or straightened out versions of things um, and doesn't really pass comment on that. I mean, it, it exists and it's there, but he doesn't really say anything. I like the fact that Hayward Sumner actually says out loud, I don't really think this is a, a good way of putting of expressing the the what I've heard. I don't think it's a good way of expressing what I've heard. It's not a good way of putting it down because you are well, you're literally making it not free. You're putting bars around it. That's it's, it's, it's a, great... a lovely way lovely way of putting it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Talk maybe should we should we zip through the songs a bit and then uh, we'll get sure. you to sing sing one when we get to it. So that was the Bezel Maker, which is the first one. The second one is God Speed the Plow, which I'm gonna come back to. Um, then we've got the Wassail song. Um, which is the first one that uh, I came across because you introduced me to this, and this is going to be on our on our forthcoming Christmas album. Woo! Available for pre-order soon. Um, so yes, so this is um, uh, the only one in the in the book actually that has a note on it, and he writes in it uh, in Western Somersetshire. The chorus, as below of the Wassail song, used to be sung in apple orchards on Epiphany Eve. The observance of the custom was supposed to bring good luck to the next year's apple crop. Um, so I think 
and I just I, I thought that was it was lovely reading that having just also read about the fact that one of the things he got up to in his um, in his house that he built Cuckoo Hill uh, is uh, is he he planted an orchard and uh, made his own apple juice so he was he was well into apples basically should we give a little quick blast of each of these Liza actually have you got the book there Where's my I book? do Give us a well. Give us a little bit of the wassail song, just just like just like one verse or something. Pray, master and mistress, pray. If you're within, please open the door and let us come in. Oh, we are bound for to bring you good cheer. Your pockets full of money and your barrels full of beer, which is our version. We've kind of changed it a little bit, but um, <clears throat> our bowl, it is made of the good ashen tree. And here, my kind fellow, we'll drink unto thee. It's very pretty. Which is such a lovely, lovely version, that, isn't it? And it's... Um... I mean, I I don't know. Maybe there are other there are the collected versions that are very similar, but it seems quite a different tune to to any I've heard. Anyway, I don't know if yeah, you absolutely. yeah 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 yeah. So after that, we got so, my Johnny was a shoemaker, um, and and this is quite interesting because um, it's it's American. Uh, yeah, it's Mer American song um, apparently. So this is again we got this from um, from the Mustrad article yes uh the the, the website i forgot was which the was provided to us by irene thank you very much irene yes, for all of your help here so today. so uh, irene shettle who's uh joining us on the zoom who's has uh who who uh is uh expert in lucy broadwood and many other things and has been incredibly helpful finding out a lot of this stuff um so thank you irene uh so yes yeah, so mike gates says that this was uh printed on american song sheets sometime about 1859 the composer is shown as a mrs wj florence so that's interesting because it, I mean, this is quite a well-known song in the folk scene. Uh, it's on by uh, Steely Span um, on their first album and various other people. Um, and um, yeah, just it's just quite interesting to see it written down. So I'll sing you a little bit of this um, as written. I'll try anyway. My Johnny was a shoemaker and dearly he loved me. My Johnny was a shoemaker, but now he's gone to sea with nasty pitch to soil his hands and sail across the stormy sea and sail across the stormy sea. So pretty close to the to the well-known version now, I guess, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, and all of these we well, should say. Well, I guess say, if its author is if its author is still known. Yeah, it might be quite close to the to the original. I guess it's only this is only uh, you know a twenty-year-old song, I suppose at this at this point. Um, and all of these songs should say that the that the book. I mean, this the, the only problem with doing this as a podcast is we can't give an impression of how wonderful the book is because it, it, all these songs are, are, are beautifully illustrated uh, and handwritten out. So it's all his yeah. handwriting. Got and... A lovely, a lovely illustration there of the, of the girl crying. Yeah. Just yeah absolutely beautiful really really beautiful um so let's gallop through so where, 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 where have we got to now so next it's ah next it's repook and sickle is that one you're going to sing us liza it's not no i'm oh, not no, doing fine. one i'm not no, doing that one, not doing that one. although okay. we did do it with watson carthy on ah, okay. the holy heathens of the old green man record not the same version but but very very similar um, so I don't know much about this. Uh, it was well. Apparently, it's again quite rare. Uh, there is a version in Dorset, and that's the only other version to have found it. Um, and this is one of a number of songs that Lucy Broadwood. We'll come on to Lucy Broadwood in a minute, but she um, published several of Haywood Sumner's songs in her very important book, English County Songs, um, which was uh, about well, it was five years after um, this particular book. Um, Shall I try and sight sing this tune? Uh, <laughs> this might is pushing pushing my yeah, skills a little bit. Come on, you lads. I'm, and I'm enjoying your reading skills, John. Yeah. <laughs> Come all you lads and lasses. Together let us go into some pleasant corn. Uh, no, I'm not going to manage that. Sorry, but it's um yeah, that's it. Uh, we'll 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 chop that bit out. out. Uh, <laughs> I can I can play the tune so, on the film. Um, that's I can play the tune on the fiddle if you want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's hear, let's hear the tune. Let's hear the tune. Mm -hmm. 
Lovely. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a sweet tune, that, isn't it? They're all they're all great. All these songs, I think, are really, really, really great. Um, so next up in the book, we've got Hobble Tea, Robble Tea, How Now? Which my dad pointed out to me this afternoon when we were talking about this, looking at stuff, that it is kind of... Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the Waterson singing Willie went to Westerdale. It's kind of very, very similar yeah. to that. All about the uh, yeah, the, right. the, la the lazy wife idea. And apparently my mum always just hates singing it. She hated it. But actually, I... Because right. uh, uh, obviously we don't like the Robin, he thrashes her now part of the chorus. That's not, that's not good. It's not great, uh, no. No, but yeah, and she's just getting on with it, you know. She, she's sweeping the floor twice a year because she says the brooms are too expensive. It's like there's nothing wrong with that. She's made a perfectly good decision. You don't need to thrash your wife for that. But so yeah, it, uh, it is funny. Part, yeah, the, the, the verses are funny, though. Let, let me t again see if I can manage this. Uh, when she churns, she churns in a boot. Hobble tea, bobble tea, how, how now? Something like that. Instead of a beater, she pops in her foot. You're not doing this one, Liza, are you? Uh, nope. No, fine. Sorry, I thought something. Sorry, Next one off you. There, there we have a go. Uh, pops no. of her boots um, with a hey down, ho down, duffel green petticoat. Robin, he thrashes her now. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the duffel green petticoat though. It's great. If we just get, we just need to get rid of that last line. And I love, yeah, and I love the. Um... Hey down, ho down, her duffel green petticoat. That's that's brilliant. I also like she puts yeah. the cheese upon the shelf and she leaves it there till it turns of itself. Ah. So it's like so the cheese goes off, but the next verse is even better because it turned of itself and it went out the door. So it grew legs <laughs> and ran off. Uh, and so you must make it yourself if you want any more. I think that's oh. the only because there's loads of cheese on the shelf. If you want any more, you can sing it yourself songs. But none of yeah. them. Like, that's the first one I've encountered where the cheese has actually grown legs and run away. Like, I really like that. Genius. Love it. I love it. Cheesy is uh, genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh, OK, so then uh, next up, we've got the two young men of Kenilworth. Um, which is a fascinating yeah, one. Either. Well, I just found it quite interesting. So this is a um, this is a spoken. So so the note here from Sumner is to the singer: the words of each verse of this song are first said to the audience and then sung by all after the word "sing." So, for example, there were two young men of Kenilworth, the sons of one mother. Sing. There were two sing. young. Yeah, <laughs> were two young men of. What's it do? Yes, that's Yeah, it's a mulberry bush, isn't it? So there were two young men of Kenilworth, of Kenilworth, of Kenilworth. There were two young men of Kenilworth, the sons of one mother. Um, so it's one of those sort of songs, which is, which is, um, yeah, kind of unusual. And it's all about, um, it's all about Abraham and Ishmael doing stuff, hanging out, going to the theatre. <laughs> kind of... Riding on a donkey and going to the theatre, yeah. yeah. So I don't know, yeah, I do, and I'm not very good at biblical stuff, but I looked it up and so Ishmael's the son of Abraham, Ishmael is the, like, the sort of um, beginning of, of uh, like, seen as the kind of the, the founder of the, the Arabic world, basically, and Abraham, obviously, the founder of the Abrahamic religions. So why they're going to the theatre and sitting on a donkey, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure, but... Um... In Kenilworth. In, in Kenilworth, uh, maybe there's just maybe it's not anything to do with the Bible. I don't know, but anyway, that's a great, that's a great, another great little song. That um, good, and um, so just a couple more, there yeah, two more left. Um, uh, and those are the two that I'm singing. From and that's enough. the two that you're singing. So, so you're going to give us one now. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so the next one is Forty Dukes of Riding. Yeah, Forty Dukes of Riding. It's a children's. It's a children's rhyme. And it's essentially, uh, it's essentially blind man's buff. So it's a game. I don't know if anybody played blind man's buff when you were a kid, but but we certainly did. Um, yeah. And on the surface, it's quite. Uh, on the surface, it's quite. Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, quite misogynistic. But actually, the uh, the the girls the girls in question seem to seem to 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 get their yes. They're not interested in being told what to do by a load of dukes. So um, I quite like that. 
the one thing the one yeah. thing I will say about this book is that it's laid out absolutely dreadfully if you want to learn the songs because the, yeah, the, the music the the music and the uh, and the and the notes don't match up together yeah and, hence my and, hence hence my terrible sight singing a minute ago I'm oh yeah that's that what bad, so, oh, yeah that's what that was yeah <laughs> but uh but also most of the words for this one are on the page before the tune so uh i've, I've got it on my phone here this is uh, this is the modern way Show your goodness then, how do you show your goodness then? How do you show your goodness, girls, my dulcy dulcy day? We all do as we're told, sir, my dulcy dulcy officer. We all do as we're told, sir, my dulcy dulcy day. Then I bid you stop your game, girls, game, girls, game, girls. You stop your game, girls, my dulcy dulcy day. He won't stop for you, sir, a dulcy, dulcy day. So naughty girls, you won't obey. Then I will make you stop your play. I'll catch you on, I'll catch you all. I'll catch you big, I'll catch you small. Oh, we won't stop for you, sir, my dulcy, dulcy officer. We won't stop for you, sir, my dulcy, dulcy day. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And so I see, I haven't spotted this, but it says in the book that this is a song for the game of Blind Man's Buff. Yes, that's what you were saying. So, yeah. Fantastic. Um, so then that, that gets us to the end of the book. Um, Apart from the Jolly Ploughboy, which uh, Liza, you're going to sing us that one as I'll well, but, one out, yeah. but but we'll do that at the end, I think. Um, so we'll come back to that one. Um, but um, so that's the book. So it's quite a short little little book of folk songs, but they're all they're all uh, they're all bangers, basically, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. I think it's it's a really really fine selection. Apparently, he did have. A couple more songs kicking around in his uh, kicking around well, in his back drawer. Yeah, well, well, let's just, so shall we talk now a bit, a little bit about Lucy Broadwood and Hayward Sumner? Um, before we because do, that's, before yeah. we do, can I? Uh, one of the things that you sent me was uh, a little a little advertisement for the book, and it had. Oh yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. Again, this is from Irene. Found found all this stuff for us. Yeah, I actually love this, Irene. This is fantastic. Um, it was a little advertisement for the book, and it and it, it contained a little bit of the foreword. And then there was something else. So the the, the piece of the forward that, that the advert had in it was some of the uh, some of the simple tunes. Oh no, it's the it's the uh, the Glasgow Herald review. That's what it is. It's the review. It's the review. The yeah, yeah. From the Glasgow from the Glasgow Herald, and it says uh, and it says this that some of the simple tunes to which the country folk sing the words are caged in bars. Uh, although he is afraid that much of the peculiar style of I love this prolonging best note. I know so many singers that do that, like, I'm just prolonging my best note because I had me and this is my note. <laughs> Some people might think that losing the practice of that is not necessarily a bad thing, but <laughs> I'm all for just... it. I'm all for milking your best note. Oh, totally. Yeah. You need time to get your hands up there in the air, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so underneath the Glasgow Herald review is, is an advert for superfluous hair removal have your ha superfluous hairs removed by by electrolysis 
And I think, I swear to God, I get so I was many amazed by that, that they on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> it's like even the Glasgow Herald knows what I've been clicking on. It's in 1888. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Can still, you can still do that. Yeah. That's just a, just a yeah, little incredible. note, a side note. Well, it's all it's all the important things that we're covering here, you know, uh, electrolysis. Um, and the the other thing Irene found was um, a, a review of a of a art exhibition um, in which someone was displaying the original illustrations, which which is fascinating. So that there was actually a uh, you know a proper exhibition of all this stuff um, again in, in I, I think that was nineteen eighty nine possibly. Um, Anyway, so um, that's that's the publication, 1888. Um, and then I guess the next thing that happens is Lucy Broadwood um, and he make contact. Um, so they first of all uh, met each other. Let me just check my date list here. Uh, so in uh, 1891, so three years after after the book um, came out, he met Lucy Broadwood at a party, um, and there's not very much information about uh, that meeting. There is a diary again. Um, thanks, Irene, for finding this diary entry. I'll just read you this. Um, here we go. Um, Entry for February 15th, 1891, to church in Gloucester Road, lunched at Three Queen Street Gardens, to the spring rises afterwards to sing madrigals and anthems. Mr. Lionel Benson, etc., etc. Mr. Hayward Sumner called. I talked to him about his tunes in the Besom Maker, etc. Fine day. So that, yes, um, so that seemed to be the first meeting. Um, and this led on pretty soon afterwards uh, to um, Broadwood using several of his. Uh, collected songs in her book, Country Songs. Um, so that's, I guess, um, you know, that, that, that that's kind of interesting. There's, there's um, what, four songs in English County songs that she attributes to him. So there's obviously, there are some other songs that he's got kicking around that he hasn't put in the Besom Maker. Um, and and uh, so the, the ones in the book, um, in, in the Broadwood book that uh, we, that aren't in, uh, the Besom Maker. There's uh, the Farmer's Daughter, which is one I don't know. There's a version of the Outlandish Night and a version of the Pricklie Bush, and one other that I can't remember. Oh, um, uh, what, what was it? Uh, I'll find it in a sec. But um, so yeah, so that's that's the kind of um, really the only other element uh, in in Sumner's life uh that is a kind of contribution to, to folk song that's basically it faithful emma that's the other one sorry i just found that um so um so yeah so he provides some songs for uh, broadwood's book um and but what's what i found quite interesting then so we've got these other letters uh so we've got a letter from sumner to lucy broadwood but this is quite a lot later on actually this is 1904 um so here we go this is uh Cuckoo Hill, South Gawley, Fordingbridge, Hans. Dear Miss Broadwood, I am much obliged for your letter telling of my election to the Folk Song Society, and I enclose, I enclose a cheque for 12 shillings, is that? Uh, in payment for the four back numbers of your journal, which I shall like to have. I believe the Besom Maker is quite out of print, but I hope that you will accept a copy which I'm sending to you, and which I feel pleased to think you want to have. Believe me, yours truly, Hayward Sumner, May the 11th, 1904. So, um, so it's interesting. So he wasn't involved in the original Folk Song Society uh, meetings, as far as I know, but she obviously got in touch and um, said, "Oh, you know, we've 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 made you a member," and he's ordered some uh, back catalogues. Um, and then this other one is uh, when is this? April the thirtieth. Oh, sorry, I've done them out of out of sequence. Uh, so this is this is the, the the letter before, which was, dear Miss Broadwood, I have to thank you for your remembrance of my interest in country songs, and should be very much obliged to you if you would be so good as to propose me for membership. Can I obtain the back numbers for your journal? I should like to see whether some songs of which I have rather corrupt oral versions are given more completely. The Prickly Bush and Faithful Emma are the songs I think of. Uh, believe me, yours truly, Hayward Sumner, 
April 1904. So, I mean, I just found that was quite interesting because he's mentioning the songs that she's published of his in her book. So it's a bit like he's kind of forgotten that she's done that. Do you know what I mean? Like she's <laughs> she's published full versions in her book. And so I just, I thought that was, A, it's interesting just hearing that sort of personal correspondence, but also it does give this impression that actually the folk song collection was pretty tangential to his life. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't that interested. He wasn't interested enough to be in the folk song society. Um, and I guess so when he we just liked the bicycle, that's what he was. was into bicycling. But I mean, I think this 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 then takes us to um, so we should we should try and wrap up, I guess we've got been going for an hour. So because what happens then in his life is, um, as I say, that's it then for there's no more folk song stuff. Um, he I, I was I'm grateful to the English Folk Song and Dance Society because they looked up his membership uh, uh, credentials and um, they have said that he uh, I don't think I wrote it down but I think it was something like 1917 um, he kind of stopped bothering to pay his subs so he wasn't a member of the society after then um, and he just he just didn't do anything more with folk song which just seems kind of bizarre to have done this amazing book of and 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 found all these great songs and then and then that's it, you know, and this is quite young. I mean, he's so when was he born? 1853. So this is mid 30s when he published uh, The Bezen Maker. And, uh, and that's kind of it, you know, weird. Um, and so part of the reason is because he, he 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 seems to be one of these guys who just goes on to a new exciting thing. So uh, so after the Bezen Maker, he gets really into oral history. So so his book um, uh, Cuckoo Hill, the Book of Gawley, um, is has got some fascinating sort of uh, just lots of stuff about the New Forest. So by this point, he's moved to this house in the New Forest, and there's a it's 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 quite similar to the Flora Thompson uh, stuff, I think, of of you know sort of um, first hand reminiscence. The difference is that he's he's an outsider to the area where she grew up in it, but he's he's very much in that sort of tradition of of um, documenting that sort of rural life. And he even says stuff like he's, he's trying to write it down so that people in, in the year 2000 will, will be able to see the forest life as it was, you know? So he's really kind of, he gets really fired up, I think about that sort of oral history, social history kind of stuff. Um, and then he becomes an archeologist, a sort of out of nowhere, but except that it, it sort of, it builds out of his illustration. So he's sort of doing all these sketches and then he, he starts actually measuring an archaeological site near him and then he um kind of gets a bit gets you know befriends various archaeologists and then the rest of his life he's this highly celebrated archaeologist um and a lot of the articles that we've been able to find are all about him as an archaeologist because he was very influential um very respected and um you know but love lovely stuff all his archaeology he also illustrates in a similar way to the bezant maker so they're all these lovely sort of archaeological uh drawings um so there we are so I, I that that kind of gets us to the end of his story because he's then a then an archaeologist for the rest of his life there's some nice stuff i just found this morning about him uh in the war uh because he doesn't die when did he die 1940 1940 yeah and um so the last uh, where did i put it uh so this is in a book called hayward Sumner's wessex uh and this is an uh, late 1940, uh, we have so far been lucky. No bomb has fallen nearer than a quarter mile distant. We feel bumps all round. One big and eight small dropped within 200 yards radius. Damage, one well filled up, few windows broken, no human or livestock hurt. Another lot of seven or eight fell in a field near Moyles Court with one hen killed. We have two deer evacuees, or evacuates, he calls them, for the last six months. One four years old, other seven years girls and they have been joined since southampton has been so badly bombed by their parents and baby of two years and this is just after his wife's died i think as well isn't it so um yeah so we i mean we, so there are sort of little bits like that of writing that he goes on uh, for the rest of his life so so but he, he basically spends the last uh you know 50 years of his life with not not very much to do with folk song but just living in this beautiful house that he's built um doing archaeology and uh, being a generally 
nice chap, as far as I can work out. Is that your impression of him, Liza? Yeah, just the humour and everything. And uh, yeah, the, the, looking through his his letters to his family and stuff like that. And he's, he's often just he often doodles on his on his uh, on his letters to his to his family and things like that. And and just yeah, he just seemed to to to, to be a really affable good company very very talented and busy in the mind kind of a guy yeah just fabulous interesting person well, one thing i thought was interesting is that he wrote a little uh detective no novel for his kids um and there's a little quote that he gives about how archaeology appeals to people who like detective no novels and that just made me think well maybe that was it, that's also true of folk song collectors i guess isn't it you know it's kind of a Kind of a detective job, mm. finding out, uh, finding out the folk songs and all that sort of stuff. So, what, what do you think? Sort of finishing off, Liza. What do you? Why do you think it's not better known this book? Because it seems to me like it should be like you know a classic, um, and and yeah, yeah it seems or like the golden obscure, bell or you know? something like that. Well, it's I suppose because people think of it as a pamphlet, or perhaps people consider it to be a work of more of a work of art rather than a resource. Uh, I don't know. I mean, well, it is, it is very, question. very small and has been out of print for quite yeah. some time. And um, one of the things that Stephen was interested in is is sort of republishing it and reframing yeah. and reframing uh, Hayward Sumner's role in collecting. It is interesting to me. I mean, this one of the reasons that I that I wanted us to cover him as a subject was because of his meeting with with, with Lucy Broadwood and everything. And um, so I'd never thought of him as contemporaries of those people. I'd never thought of him as uh, as contemporaries of, of Sharp or Broadwood or Lee or anyone like that. And and I think that's possibly that's possibly it because he is considered more in other areas of his life um, than, and, than I mean, this. That's and the you other forget that these I people had. you forget that these people know each other because they're all part of yeah, society. Yeah, yeah. They're all, you know, pitch <laughs> and they and they all yeah. know each other. They're all in various various um you know, various organisations together. Um, but yes, yeah, so well, you, you had well, a question. Well, um, my, my question, and this is just a, you know, an unanswerable one, I suppose, but it's it, it struck me as, it, you know, isn't it odd that he's the only person to have combined visual arts with folk song in, in that era? And yet all the broadsides have got, Little little illustrations in them, you know, little line cuts in them. So that there is, there is. It's not like it's a brand new idea, but is it more a reflection of the people like Sharp and and Broadwood that you know that they didn't do that was actually on reflection slight slightly odd. You know, all the books that were published were quite sort of dry. They didn't they didn't have nice little illustrations and that sort of stuff. And I just wondered if what. Oh, apparently, oh, Irene says uh, Lucy Broadwood was a, was a good artist and cartoonist, but but she didn't draw in her in her books, did she? So it, it's um, it's interesting, and I wondered whether maybe that's what put Sumner, you know, off the folk song movement once it kind of got into full throttle, was that it was it was a bit too sort of, you know, a, a bit too academic and a bit too dry, maybe, and and you know, he was more into this kind of. Uh, you know, kind of arts and crafts. Well, I, uh, I mean, my only, uh, my own, my um, only possible answer for it was that perhaps, uh, was that perhaps the folk song, if you weren't an academic, was considered kind of doggerel in a way. I mean, certainly when it comes to broadsides, those uh, those illustrations very, very rarely related to to what was printed alongside. Um, like you might get a picture of yeah, that's of, true. Of, a, of a funny drunk on a song about an Irishman, but that is pretty much as close as you would get sometimes. <laughs> so having been through the having been through the broadside collections at Cheatham's, um, you know, it's it, I think it's possibly more than more like people like Arthur Rackham and maybe Iona and Peter Opie and yeah. people like that, and and also Crane comes into that as well. Were more interested yeah. in like. The Robin Hood stories, or um, um, yeah, and fairy stories, legends, that kind of thing, and it didn't, it just didn't cross over with the folk music. I mean, certainly the folklore is there, but the but the music not necessarily so much. You know, it's interesting and and sad that, well, not sad is the wrong word, but it's it's it does. I keep thinking it's a shame he didn't do another ten of these <laughs> these books, you know, what I mean? Cause, you know, to just to just <laughs> this yeah. this one little oh, book. Absolutely. 
Um, but anyway, I think we should probably wrap up there. So yeah, I was he just gonna... came flitting past us, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. But thank goodness he did, because what a lovely thing he left um, for us all. Um, so, so to finish off, I was going to do another song, but I, I think maybe we've been running a bit too long. So maybe I'll just give you a quick verse. I'll maybe give you one verse of Godspeed the Plough, and then and then Liza, you could finish off uh, with your second song. Um, so yeah, Godspeed the Plough. I thought this was quite interesting because this is again, this is a very um, Un, it, it's a it's a lesser collected song. There does seem to be one other version, uh, also collected in Hampshire by Gardner, um, with the same tune and the same words. But he, even in that case, uh, that he only collected two verses. So certainly uh, the the um, the final two verses of this song, uh, Sumner's version, is the only version that was ever collected. So you know, quite significant, really as a folk song collector um, and, and a really weird song, I think, again, so weird m melodically, uh, really. Um, so I'm just going to sing you a verse of this and then I will hand over to Eliza to, to finish this off. Um, I'm going to get the concertina out for this one. Yeah. Mm. Here's a health to the farmer and Godspeed the plough. Send him in his fields a good crop to grow. Send him in his fields a good crop for to grow. That all things must prosper which he takes in hand. For the farmer indeed is a capital man. Plough and sow, reap and mow. Lambs to rear and sheep to shear Health and contentment the countrymen wear It's quite a sweet little song that, isn't it? Um, so it's, yeah, I um, love that one. I've, I've done a version of that one. Have you? Well. Have you? It's, uh, yeah. it's really nice. It's, 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 so, Lingering on your, what was it, your best note? Yes, exactly. That's that's obviously what he's thinking about, isn't he? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Great. Well, um, thanks for that. Thanks, everyone um, for uh, who's here on the Zoom call for coming along. Thanks again to Irene uh, for all her research. And, um, oh, yeah, well, we're going to finish off before before you finish off with a song. Um, we, we thought what we might do is we, at the end of each podcast, we might each nominate the next topic. Uh, and then we're going to have a little vote on Twitter uh, to see which one we do. Have you have you thought of someone, Liza, to nominate? I have not. Okay, well, I'm going to oh. nominate one, and then you've got the time it takes me to nominate someone to think of. <laughs> to think of someone. I want to nominate Child, uh, uh, Francis James Child, because um, I I don't know very much about him. I apart from him, he was a, an American professor. Um, which is kind of interesting, you know, this kind of central figure in the, in, in, in the, in the British folk scene was, was an American academic sitting at his desk compiling all this stuff. So I would like to do him. Who would you like to do? Sabine Baring Gould. Oh, yes. Except, I mean, no, because we're going to have a fight about this. No, yes, rubbish. Gonna... Who wants to know about him? Sabine is going <laughs> to kick your baton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next podcast will either be... Um, uh, Sabine Baring Gould or Francis James Child, and um, you can uh, vote for which one you want on uh, by following us on Twitter. I think it's Underleaves Pod is is the handle on Twitter, so you can follow that. Um, so we'll just finish off um, with uh, with Eliza singing us a song. What sing. are you going to sing? I'm going to sing the Jolly Ploughboy, which is the very last song in the book and uh, it's quite nice that you chose the first two and i chose the last two one of my favorite things is is this his very the, the last the very last panel is this little finny thing which is so sweet oh with yeah the, lovely with the sun the happy sun and the scowling moon i, I love that <laughs> and the two little boys really beautiful other ends of the world what I really want, actually, and this is how middle class I am, is I really want someone to produce a series of tea towels with all these illustrations on. That's that's what needs to happen. <laughs> okay, I'll uh, I'll get on that. <laughs> on, on, yeah, thanks. <laughs> mm -hmm. There were two loving brothers, two brethren were born. Two brethren whose trades we still keep. No one was a ploughman, a planter of corn, the other a vendor of sheep. 
Come all jolly ploughboys, come help me to sing. I'll sing in the praise of the plough. For though me rest labour from summer to spring, we all will be merry boys now. We've hired, we've mired through mire and through clay. No pleasure at all could we find. Now we'll laugh, dance and sing and we'll drive care away. No more in this world to repine. Here's April, here's May, here's June and July. It's a pleasure to see the corn grow. In August we'll moil it, yellow and reap high, and bound up our sides for to mow. So now we have gathered up every sheaf, and scraped up every ear. We'll make no more to do but plough and to sow. And provide for the very next year. Beautiful. Thank you, Eliza. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Under the Leaves with Eliza Carthy and John Bowden. To take part in the live Zoom recordings, for early access to new episodes and to be a part of the Under the Leaves online community, please sign up at undertheleaves.co.uk.